Okay, so if it's a little disjointed today, you'll know I kind of did it in between at night. And, um, but let's talk about, uh, uh, first of all, lesson one. Because we're going to be talking about Doctrine and Covenants 3 and 5 and 10 uh, specifically. And what we're about to do is find out what was the purpose of the Book of Mormon. Why do we have it? Um, now, to back up, let's go over a story that we have heard a number of times, so I don't want to belabor this too much, but I think it's really good to keep in context uh, the background, because always, 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 it, it's almost impossible to really understand a section of the Doctrine and Covenants without knowing the historical framework. You need to know two things. What was the history? What was going on around it? Number two, you have to know what question was being asked by the prophet that prompted the revelation. And with the Doctrine and Covenants, more than any other book, we have a chance to know the historical context and to know the question being asked. Okay? Now, if we go back, if we go in, in history, we're, we're kind of jumping ahead just a little bit uh, here. Um, Joseph starts off in Palmyra, upper upstate New York. He ends up down in Harmony, Pennsylvania. Why is he in Pennsylvania? Why in Harmony? Emma's family's down there. And Joseph had gone down there on a work crew kind of thing. They're doing some things uh, for uh, Brother Hales. And, uh, so that's how he got to know them down there. So that's where they went down there. Now, but then he marries her and he brings her up to Palmyra. Why did they end up back in Harmony? Persecution. Persecution from? Yeah, remember the rest of the work crew that thought that the plates were half theirs or, or that they were nine-elevenths? Nine theirs or eleven of them in the group. Uh, and they thought that the plates were mostly theirs. And so they're just harassing. They actually can't get any translation done. So he actually takes the plate. He goes down to Harmony. Uh, Dad gives him a, a plot on the other side of the road from where their, their house was. So they're down there. Okay. Uh, so he's down there and he starts he starts the work of translation. Who's translating for him? Evan did some. Oliver's not there yet. Martin Harris did a lot. And some and David Whitmer did some. And actually one of Evan's brothers did some. I mean it's kind of a patchwork of people that he's trying to get this work done. Yeah. Uh, so there's a lot of people, and so when you look at these original documents, you'll see different handwritings, and they're having to go through and say, okay, we think this one is Martin Harris, we think this one is Emma, we think, okay, so we got all this patchwork, okay. Now, the problem, of course, lies in that Martin Harris is a fairly prosperous farmer up in, in uh, Palmyra, and he's down there doing all the translating, okay, so who's getting ticked off? Mama. Yeah. yeah, Lucy Harris is getting to be kind of a pain. In fact, I'm not even going to go into all the detail of how big a pain she really was, but she really was. I mean, she's tearing up the house, trying to find a place. She's just being obnoxious as heck. Uh, but she puts enough heat on Martin uh, to say, I need to know that you're not just, you know, just a full errand and the farm is going to go to waste and everything because you won't work it because you're done harmony. So he says to Joseph, I need to at least show her what we've been doing. And so the Lord goes to Joseph, or the Lord goes to the Joseph, Joseph goes to the Lord and says,
Mark to let him see it, has his wife see it, and the Lord says, no. And she goes, and Mark goes, and Joseph goes, please, and the Lord says, no. Maybe we get the, this rule of three, but it's so important. Then uh, the third time, the, what does the Lord say? Under covenant, he will. Under covenant to do what? To ensure to any other. Yeah, show it to a select amount of people. This person, then there's about four or five people total that Martin can show it to. Okay? Uh, so Martin then takes, uh, Emma's about to give birth. So uh, Joseph stays in harmony with Emma. Uh, Martin goes up to, back up to Palmyra. Uh, the only locking place, safe place they have in their house is Lucy's bureau. She's got a lock and a key to that. So he puts the manuscript in her bureau and they lock it away. Okay, and then he shows it to the five people. Well, at some point they go out to visit relatives. Uh, Lucy wants to stay. Martin comes back. More friends want to see the manuscript. He can't get into the bureau. So he did what a lot of husbands do. He picked the lock. Well, right, he broke the bureau. <laughs> Jimmy the thing opened and broke it and got, now he's in Dutch. <laughs> he's in trouble. But he got the manuscript out and put it in his own drawers. And then, at that point, it seemed, then he showed it to a few people and then more and then more and then more. Now the covenant's completely broken. He's going nuts and showing it to everybody. Because now it's about him. And he's really cool because he's got his manuscript, okay? Uh, Lucy comes back, flies into a rage over the broken bureau, uh, and then uh, and then she, but it's still sitting in the house. Meanwhile, back in Harmony, uh, Emma gives birth. Does the child live? No. This is a kind of a stillbirth, kind of a kind of a kind of an ugly birth kind of thing. And she takes her a number of weeks to survive for that. All that time, Joseph has this growing fear inside of him that something's not right. He hasn't heard from Martin, he hasn't been bad, and he's becoming more and more terrified. And finally, Emma's fine, she says, go, and then he rides, uh, he takes the stage back up to Palmyra, uh, he's not sleeping. Uh, it's a true story that there was a man on the, on the stage that was with him, that was watching him, watching Jones become more and more distraught. Uh, and then they, they drop him off at a place and he's still got 20 miles to walk to home and it's like 10 o'clock at night. And this man, this unknown man, you can conjecture all you want on this one, um, says, I'll make sure you get there. Gets off with Joseph in the middle of the night and, and practically carries him the 20 miles in the dark uh, to get home uh, uh, to Palmyra. Uh, to Manchester and get him home. Uh, by the way, the strength, and in fact, and, and really does carry him like the last couple of miles. Uh, it is true that the, the stranger that morning then uh, will grab a quick breakfast and leave, and we still don't know who he was. Okay. Uh, Joseph, by the time that says, send for Martin, off goes, and they send uh, Samuel off to go get Martin, and it's going to eat about 7 or 8 o'clock in the morning, come eat breakfast with us. When does Martin show up? About noon. Yeah, he's not, he's not doing good. And Mother, Mother Smith says he just kind of leaned on the fence post. He just was distraught. And then I love this moment when 
He comes in, now I'm reading lunch. Okay? Mark comes in, sits down, and sits. And they're all kind of eating. Nobody said anything yet. And finally Joseph goes, Martin, where's the papers? <laughs> and then Martin goes, uh, I've lost them, I've lost them, I've lost my soul. I, I, I've torn up the house, I don't know where they are, and everything. And then Joseph goes nuts. And Emma says, or uh, uh, Mother Smith says, this was the worst day imaginable. I would wish this on anybody. The darkness outside and inside was so oppressive that day. Just like the worst day of their lives. And they had some pretty bad days. But this one was this one was pretty bad. Okay? Now. Now we know, for instance, that uh, so and, and the purpose, by the way, and we know this, and I'm not going to take the time to go through because again, I think it's a familiar story for us. What was what was Lucy Harris's plan? What why did she take him in the papers? To rewrite them and change it. So that when Joseph retranslated it, there would be a discrepancy. Now, there is one little fly in this ointment. I think it, it needs to be, and I don't have an answer for this, so let me just throw out an idea. If, if both of these, if the main part of this manuscript was in Martin's handwriting, and suddenly she shows up with another manuscript, and it's in her handwriting, or somebody else's other than Martin's, how would they know that it, it wasn't just a really blatant forgery? Might have been, we just have somebody that thinks they can write Martin's uh, handwriting really well. Martin could be like a second witness and say, I never wrote that. Joseph said, that's not what we wrote. The damage, the other stout song. Yeah. Wasn't there a conspiracy among her and other people too? It wasn't just her. There was. So there was going to be other people involved and uh, in a second, we're going we're to talk about Martin being a wicked man and was out to uh, destroy Joseph's gift. This is, this is in uh, uh, DNC 5. Is it possible that Martin was in on this? At some level, might have been. We don't, we don't know. You look at how distraught he was. Maybe the horribleness of this had finally hit him, but it's possible that that might have been in the plan yeah. Has anything ever been recorded by any of the people who supposedly were shown the manuscript? No, and in fact, uh, a lot of that we think was just basically destroyed. The only one that we know for sure of is uh, her brother, uh, Preservant Harris, <coughs> or his, his uh, Martin brother, Preservant, was in on it a little bit with her, and the fact that when, when, uh, Joseph actually wrote down the, the characters for Martin to take to New York, to, to take it to what's been called the three wise men, who were three prominent uh, scholars, one of them being Charles Anthony, who was probably the least qualified of the three, by the way. Um, that when Martin pulled out of his pocket while they were writing, he says, here's the characters that Joseph wrote for me. Uh, Lucy <coughs> pulled out another one that was real similar, that she done some copying as well. I mean, she... She was a pretty conniving lady, and she was 
And, and she was really trying to make a mess of this thing. Okay? Whatever happened to her? Did she ever come around at all? Mm-hmm. She didn't. In fact, uh, uh, Martin will basically divorce her and leave. Right about the time they lose the farm. <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> okay. So let's let's uh, let's hop down to DNC ten, if we can. Because listen to this verbiage in verse 6 and 7. Behold, he's saying to Joseph, um, Behold, they have sought to destroy you, even the man who you have trusted has sought to destroy you. Now, that's why I'm saying there is another side to this that we don't have. Because Martin... If you just take it at face value, Martin just kind of comes off as a bumbling idiot kind of thing and just was a little pushy because he had a really pushy wife. But listen to how the Lord is describing this. And then verse 7. And for this cause I say that he is a wicked man. Listen. He has sought to take away the things wherewith you have been entrusted. And he has also sought to destroy what? Your gift. What was his gift? Translate. Translate. Okay. Prophecy. What's that? Prophecy. Yeah, and his ability to prophesy on, on those kinds. Absolutely. Why would Martin Harris be doing this? Probably. Probably jealousy. Maybe he would have thought that he could do it. Because there was a sense of those that have been involved in this. Joseph was cranking out revelations or translations. And remember, the brethren around him kept going, well, we're older and wiser. I think we can do it better until they try and do it. It doesn't turn out. And it could be that here's Martin, this older man, uh, more settled. And here's Joseph, this rough son uh, boy. Then maybe Martin felt like he could do it as well. Remember, certainly Oliver is going to try. And that's going to get us eight and nine. And the Lord says, then, here's the gift. And then Martin, or then Oliver kind of chokes on it, basically. And becomes fearful. Okay. So, what we're going to get then from Martin is that there's somewhere in here the sense that the Lord is going to call him a wicked man. Now, that's kind of important, I think, because here's the other story to this. Then we're going to get to DNC 5 and the Lord says, I need witnesses and one of them will be... If he repents. If he repents and stays humble. So, for everything that Martin did to kind of mess things up in his mind, the Lord is going to forgive him to the point that he will be one of the three witnesses. There's a, there's a, there's a, that's why, again, if we go back to the idea of how wicked am I, and I think about the things that I've done, listen to the repentance and the forgiveness that comes from the Lord, and how fast he is to want to forgive us, as quickly as, as we will. Okay, now, part of what we're going to get, though, so here's the problem. Let's go down to verse 45. Now, we think, for a variety of reasons, uh, 
Remember, when, when Joseph gets ready to translate, and it's all in section 10 here, and again, I'm not taking time, because I think there's some other principles I want to get to. But what the Lord is going to basically say is, don't use what was on the 116 pages, which, by the way, the 116 pages, we kind of sometimes call what? The Book of Lehi. The same way we have the Book of Mosiah, the Book of Alma, this was the Book of Lehi. Lehi's writings that Mormon abridged. And it would have read a lot like Mosiah's and Alma's and Helaman's. Okay? We lost the book of Lehi. And the Lord says, don't go back and translate the book of Lehi. Instead, use what? Nephi's small plates. We're going to go from Nephi's journal, basically. Here's Nephi's journal. And by the way, Jacob is going to add to that journal and... Uh, Omni and Enos. Uh, we're going to number of people going to add this journal. It's not going to be the big overriding thing that Mormon did in bridging it. It's just the journal, basically, and it's just the private stuff. Okay. So in, in other words, he's going to say, "Don't go back and do this." Uh, we and so what we think uh, Joseph did was starting as soon as he's given the uh, the plates and everything back because he loses them for a season. Which, yeah. He did. He lost both. Right. And in fact, as a side note, I was going to say that when, after, after the evidence is there in Palmyra that the, the papers are gone, Joseph will then go back to Pennsylvania. He will go to uh, Emma's father and he will say the thing that Emma's father has been waiting for all along. I'm done being a prophet. I'm done with all of this stuff. I'm going to be a farmer. And 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 uh, Brother Mac will will say, finally, you know, I'm going to have an upstanding son-in-law rather than this one that's stirring everything up. Because Joseph is just this constant for weeks and weeks. He can't be, and he just says, I'm going to be a farmer the rest of my life. I was given this great opportunity at the moment, uh, and and the Lord will let him stew. Did you mean Brother Hale? Hale. I said Mac. Lucy Max Smith. Yeah, Brother Hale, thank you. Okay, so you say when he translates, there's this small plate to Nephi. Well, the, the rest of the Book of Mormon is the abridgment by Mormon. Mormon. So is that like with the small plate to Nephi? Or is that no, the small plate to Nephi seem to have been out of there. Now, now when, what I don't know is that when Mormon was actually abridging the first part of the, the family's journey out of Jerusalem and you know and all that kind of stuff. Whether he would have looked at some of the small plates of Nephi as well as the writings of Lehi and Jacob. Don't know. I'm guessing, wouldn't you, that if you're Mormon and you're going through the, the uh, we're talking, this is kind of where we're going here. If you're Mormon and you're going to start this abridgment kind of Reader's Digest version of all of these writings of these early prophets. Do you think some of what we have in the first part of the Book of Mormon, think 1 Nephi to Mosiah 1, do you think some of that would have been in Mormon's abridgment? Like what? Leaving Jerusalem. Maybe, but it would have been in Mormon's here telling the story, instead of Nephi telling the story, it would have been Mormon. What about the Tree of Life? Think Mormon would have gone through and went, wow, that's really good. Let's put that in there. 
Okay? Um, so there would have been those kind of things in there, but he would have told the story the same way as he did in Alma and Mosiah. And then it came to pass that then Alma did this. It would have been. And then it came to pass that Lehi did this, and then he did this, and then Lehi said to his sons, uh, and then Nephi said here, uh, then after, you know, for three days they journeyed here, and thus we see, you know, it would have been that whole language for this first part, okay? So for me, but, and, but think about from Messiah on forward, we get much more of the history, don't we? It was one day's journey from Nephi, and then they went over here, and they built this city, and they did this. Do we get that with Nephi? Yeah. It's his journal. I've been commanded to do it, but I'm really writing my personal stuff. Yeah. So he does have two different sets of plates? He did. Attached to the large the, the plate was the smaller one and the small plates of Nephi. And it was this little, this, this set of journal entries and it went right up to bed and then the stone. Yeah. Well, and actually what, what Mormon said was that as he was going through all the plates and abridging everything, that he found this set of small plates. Yeah. Yeah. And that he loved them so much, he was so impressed with them, that he just decided to include the whole part and parcel. I mean, yeah. Well, under the Lord's direction also, because here's what we think happened. When the 116 pages are, are lost, does, he go, does Joseph go back to the beginning? No. We think he started at Mosiah 1 and started going with the abridgment. Then he gets to Moroni 10, finishes, then he pulls out the small plates of Nephi in the direction of the Lord and says, I have prepared these for you. Now, use this. So then we think, so then the very last, what would have been the very last part that he and Oliver then transcribed, uh, translated, the very last thing done chronologically. The book of? Ether. Ether. Yeah, either would have been the last one. Either or because they would have gone forward, they'd come back and went up to that point, now we're done. Okay? And you can tell that by the way that the, the way the manuscripts were put together. Did, did I lose you on that one? Okay, really quickly. Uh, so you've got, and this is important before we read these next verses. And then this is why I'm taking time on this. Okay? So, originally what they had was Mormon's abridgment from Lehi to Moroni. The first 116 pages take them from 1 Nephi up to Mosiah 1. Does that make sense? That's the part that's lost. And that we call the book of Lehi. Yeah, Lehi, so so that whole period of time, and, and he might have called it Omni, or he might have called it Jacob, but uh, that, that's really when we talk about the book of Lehi, this whole period of time up until Mosiah 1. Okay, that's what's lost. The Lord says, I, I knew this was coming, I, I've been preparing for this for thousands of years, that's why I directed Nephi to keep a journal on top of their other writings, there it is. So there's the small plates of Nephi that covers the same period of time that they just lost. But what Joseph and Oliver did was rather than go back and start with that, we think they started at Mosiah 1, went all the way to the end of Moroni 10, 
And then when they did that, then they went back to 1 Nephi 1 and went up to that point. So the very last stuff they would have translated would have been in the stuff just before Mosiah 1. Does that, does that make it Okay. Um, and, that, and by the way, that's, and one of the ways that we know that is that now we're going to get to the first, to the very first thing that Joseph and Oliver, when they start actually digging into this stuff, because uh, remember, Oliver's going to show up. Did Oliver ever see the, the book of Lehi? No. Oliver's going to come into the picture, going to meet the Smith family, going to come down to Harmony, because he's being told he needs to be the, the uh, transcriber. He's going to come down, and the very first thing that Oliver will translate will be what? Messiah. The book of Messiah. Because that's where they start. And they go from there. That's why it's not long after they get into that. And King Benjamin was talking about baptism and stuff like that. And then they go, God, we don't have any authority. We should go get the Iranian priesthood. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the book of Ether was, you're saying it was translated before they did. Oh, I said Ether, didn't I? Yeah. yeah. Is that what confused everybody? Jacob to Enos to Omner and, uh, and all that and Chemish and all those guys that was that was uh, kept in a journal those are the very last things that they are translating yeah what about Jerem Omni yeah all those those are the last those are the last yeah so, and then Words of Mormon is the that's the that's the connecting piece to say yeah because that's why if you look at it chronologically it'll be like you know, like 600 B.C., 400 B, uh, B.C. and everything. Then you get to the words of Mormon that is that little connecting link between the, the small plates and the abridgment. You get that little chunk in there and it's like 400 A.D. Whoa, what happened here? Well, I, the Lord told me for a wise purpose we were supposed to include this with these records. Okay? Ether was like way <laughs> So here's been always the tragedy on this. <coughs> what was in the book of Levi? Wow, what, were, what are we missing out on? What great stories and things did we miss out on because, of, because we don't have the book of Levi? What historical things and uh, give us a greater idea about the family dynamics and you know the names of the sisters and who knows. All this stuff that we're missing, okay? So we can actually mourn a little bit and go, gosh, it's too bad we lost that book of Levi. Okay? But listen to what, listen to what the Lord is going to say about this. Verse 44. Behold, they, those that stole, have only got a part or an abridgment into the account of Nephi. So they didn't get everything. 45. Behold, there are many things engraven upon the plates of Nephi, which is the 
small plate, which is the journal, which is the things that we now have as 1st Nephi, 2nd Nephi, Jacob. There are things uh, engraven on the plates of Nephi which do what? Throw greater views upon my gospel. Yeah, yeah. That, that Mormon would have used to a bridge. Yeah, and the small place is more focused on... On what? Because, because what we're about to hear is... Because uh, you're about to see how the more... How, in fact... Uh, I'm going to come back to that. Okay. So 1st Nephi to Messiah 1 is the small plates of Nephi. Okay? And we were just told what is on the how does the Lord regard this first part of this? Oh my greater views of my gospel. Does that hit you like it hits me like greater views? Okay, so here's the question. What greater views are contained in first Nephi, second Nephi, Jacob? You know, all that stuff that would be greater than what's in the rest of the Book of Mormon. <laughs> so if that the good stuff is there and the not so good, and this is the great stuff, that's the good stuff later. Well, what I think is really interesting is that um, Nephi talked about how he's going to abridge the life of his father. He's going to right. and tell about the life of his father. And he tells about the tree of life. Uh-huh. And he says, this is what my father saw. Right. And then he tells about what he saw. And he said that uh, his father was so taken up by certain parts of the Tree of Life vision that he didn't tell some of the parts. So here's the parts that I saw in my dream that my father did, you know, where, where the Lord was, you know, letting me see what I asked to see. Here's the things that I saw that my father didn't notice. So I think that Maybe there's a difference there. That maybe Levi maybe gave a, a maybe a watered down version in his, and Levi is saying. Here's so you're saying that greater may not be better, greater may be more. And fill in the gap. That's what he's trying. It's more expansive. It's going to be expanded on. For me, I, I'm really. Attracted to the idea that um, a good deal of Isaiah yes. appears in such a form that we do not need to ask ourselves the question, is it translated correctly? We have it in its purity and it, it's uh, as it was intended. Ah. So, so part of that greater, what we may not have had in the Lehi, in the Mormon translation of Lehi, what we wouldn't have had probably was Isaiah. Okay, now, when you start, when you start thinking about the greater things are in this first part of the book, part of that is Isaiah. Another part, I love Jacob's explanation of the atonement. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. In fact, what you're starting to hear is that in this, in this, in this part of here, you're going to get three witnesses, right? To the divinity of the Savior. It, we're going to get because we have 
this version and not the bridge uh, part of the book of Lehi, we, we have three witnesses. We have Nephi, we have Jacob, and we have Isaiah. All testifying of the greater thing. They're giving us a greater view of what? The gospel. The gospel meaning what? The atonement? The mission of the Savior? The plan of salvation? Think about Jacob 5. What do we have in Jacob 5? The allegory of the painter, which is really the gathering of Israel. Part of this is understanding much more clearly uh, the, the mission of the Savior and what it will do and how Israel will be gathered and scattered and, and grafted in and moved over here. All of these greater views. Because let me just ask something for a sec. What if we, what if I said to you, okay, we're now going into every Book of Mormon, we're going to take out everything from 1 Nephi to Mosiah 1, and you're going to kind of get an abridged version of that. How endearing is that first part of the Book of Mormon and the truths that are Isaiah and Nephi's dream of of the Savior and the Virgin, the condescension of God. I mean, all that stuff. Think how much magnificent stuff we have. And so the, the answer is, is that we gained more than we lost. That's the short version. Well, this sure makes you want to put your hands on the Savior's do His will because yeah. if we do our way... Yeah, and because always, always with the Savior, we always get more than what... We thought we'd have this. If we do it the Savior's way, there's always a greater amount. That's the multiplier effect of the savings. All the time. Yeah. Okay, so the small picture, which is Nephi's journal, is it goes on each one from their viewpoint, or is it Nephi's viewpoint? It is, because if you look, it's always in the first person, right? Person Nephi, because then Jacob, now I Jacob, I write these things, I'm adding that on here. Well, so for me, that means a lot more because, you know, when I write my journal, it's much more personal and more insightful. Yeah. For someone to pass on, like, you know, to gain their first person rather than just a history. Absolutely. Yeah, because it is, it's the, I mean, in fact, doesn't he call it the thing of his heart at one point? I mean, he's going to write those things, and they have to be sacred, and all those kind of things. I think that's perfect. Yeah. Now, when you think about how many people start the Book of Mormon, and they only get to maybe first need by the Lord was, I mean, we know. <laughs> I have not thought of that. <laughs>
What do we have from Mosiah 1 to Moroni 10? Well, let's read. But wait, there's more here. 46. But behold, all the remainder of this work, the rest of here after the, the bridge part that Mormon did, all the remainder of this work does contain all those parts of my gospel which my holy prophets, yea, and also my disciples, desired in their prayers should come forth unto this people. So what he's saying then is the second part of this, Mosiah 1 to Moroni 10, is Mormon's abridgment. It is all those parts of my gospel which the holy prophets desired should come forth unto the people. Which was what? What was it that Alma and uh, uh, Samuel and Helaman and Nephi, what was it that they prayed for? What was it that they wanted? And by the way, uh, Enos will pray for the same thing. The what? For what? For which brethren? For us. And specifically for their the generations to come that they knew would fall into apostasy. And so what we're going to now get is a very targeted, and Mormon's in on this. Mormon understands. They're going to write, I'm going to bridge, we're going to put together a very targeted uh, approach that will be then given to uh, uh, these people that would come after us. Absolutely. This is just a... Um, one of the things that I was just... Uh, and I was thinking about this um, this last week while we were standing at uh, Tulum. Uh, and we had as a, as a tour guide a uh, wonderful, wonderful man by the name of Eric who was just released as a state president. Who was our tour guide. And he said, I am my end. You know, we haven't gone anywhere. We are here. <laughs> you know, and, and his testimony about his people and the fact that we are here, we are descendants of, and, and he just, well, he just shone. Uh, and, and his understanding as we walked through some of the places in Tulum, and he was trying to say, this is, this is my tradition over here, but here's the, here's the message, and here is the thing that you need to know. And as Latter-day Saints, we need to know. I feel like I was listening to Samuel, the Lamanite, but this guy was off the charts. Good. Okay? Uh, and, and you look at what has happened, and he talked about his whole conversion process, and he talked about how growing up, as growing up Mayan, that he had, he had an understanding of the tree of life, for instance. And when he, when grandma told him that he had to listen to the missionaries, he really didn't want to miss it. He wanted to be a smart aleck at 12 and just, but when, when they're doing that and they're, and here's this tree of life and he's going, grandma, look at this. It, it, it's here. This, this is all of this stuff. And then, and then this tradition that he had, had of a, of a mother in heaven that was going to give birth and, 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 the people will come through her loins and 
stuff like that. And then they, and the, and the first song that they hear when they go to visit church, at the Latter-day Saint church is, Oh My Father. And he goes, Grandma, look at this. <laughs> <laughs> and now he's serving as a bishop and state president. It's awesome. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think his, his first uh, reaction was, Grandma, they're stealing our stories. Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they're stealing our stories. Yeah. <laughs> because what they were getting, here's the tradition. This is when they, so then they look at the Book of Mormon and they say, this is our stuff and it's written to us. By our forefathers. <laughs> By our forefathers. And what, what are they writing to us? It's, it's a very chiseled, focused uh, intent. I'm going to tell you the things that will stir in you enough to want to get a testimony and join the church and, the, and enter in by the way, and it's going to, what have you against being baptized and all that. That's what that, the whole rest of the Book of Mormon is. We're going to start off with an expansive version, the first part, and then the rest of it is come to the Savior. We had a similar experience in Cusco, a tour guide. He wasn't a member of the church, but you could just see dabs of the, of the Romanian culture there. It was just amazing, the things he pointed out. That's yeah, it just jumps out at you, doesn't it? Okay. All right, so let me, let me go backwards here then. Because there's something. Because here's the thing that I think we need to understand then about this part. So clearly, at the end of this whole 116-page fiasco, and all the pain that Joseph went through, and the pain that Martin went through, and all of that stuff. Here, here's what Elder Holland's going to say. Clearly, this was not a, a quid pro quo in the development of the final product. It was not tit for tat. This for that. 116 pages of manuscript for 142 pages of printed text. Not so. What we got back, we got back more than we lost. And it was known from the beginning it would be so. The Lord knew when that he was going to do this? 600 B.C. when he's already telling Nephi start keeping a separate journal. I wonder uh, how that realization struck Joseph when he finally discovered the Lord knew, knew. this was you know, part of his plan from all that time of plus, you know, when he read about Laban, about Nephi killing Laban and, and yeah. you know, why is the Lord commanding him to murder this person? And I think slowly he must have evolved an understanding where, you know, the Lord is in charge. Yeah. So I don't understand it, but there's a purpose for it that I'll find out later on. And so this must have been an even greater testimony to him that... That says, I didn't, I didn't screw this up. I didn't mess this whole... In fact, the Lord knew what he was doing. And by the way, Joseph will say at the end of all of this, I made this as my rule. When the Lord says, tell him to do something... Well, we're about to go to our lesson, because here, come, here comes our part of this. We do not know exactly what we have missed in the last 160 pages. We do, what we do know that we received on the small plate was the personal declaration of three great witnesses, Nephi, Jacob, and Isaiah. Three of the great doctrinal voices of the Book of Mormon testified that Jesus is the Christ. And what he will do for the people. Okay? Alright, so that's 
That's lesson one. Here comes lesson two. Yeah. Oh, I think that's that's exactly right. And and the Lord knows what he's doing. Think about how often, like when we're talking to our youth, do they think the Lord knows what he's doing? I don't want to be Thomas appropriate. I want to be cool. I want to do what I want to do. He doesn't know what he's doing. I think that, that's a beautiful point. It says, I know what I'm doing. And in fact, if you will follow my road, what you will get will be much greater than anything you thought that you would get just doing it your way. Beautiful. Yeah. It just uh, occurred to me that how is it that Joseph now through I'm sure through uh, inspiration when he knew when to quit so it was cut off right then. No more. Wow. <laughs> that is really a good question. What she's saying is how did the how did the Lord how did Joseph know when to quit? So it's getting right to the edge of where we had the original. Because remember, the small plates are only small because they ran out of space. Because they keep saying, and you know, some of the other smaller writings and things, there's not a lot of room left, and we're running out. And isn't it interesting that even the timing of that got to the point where they they get as far as they got. That's when Martin Lucy's going nuts, so Martin's going nuts. So then he's going to take what they've got and it's right at the point where the small place would cover the exact same period of time. Good point. I have not thought of that. That's really cool. Lord kind of knows the timing on that as well. That's what I was going to say. The Lord knew from the very beginning. Yeah. It sounds, you know, I mean, he knew that Satan was going to, to try to destroy this work. And so he knew from the very beginning. You kind of get the idea that the Lord's in charge. <laughs> I mean, how many times is it like, I know what I'm doing, just trust me and do it. And our natural men and women, are like, no, we want to do it our way, and we'll be happier, it'll be more fun, or that will be a burden, or I can't do that, or that's impossible, or that's stupid, or I'm tired. And I, he just keeps saying over and over, just do it. I know what I'm doing, and you'll get more. You will. Man, we fight against that. And there's what, so, so now we go right into, here's what did Joseph learn about Joseph. And I think, because remember, part of what's going on here, the Lord, I think, has two parallel agendas here. Number one, I have to get the Book of Mormon published and out there to help the, the work go forward. What's his other job? Train a prophet. I have to take a raw, uneducated boy. I, I need to train a prophet. I need to throw some... So, for instance, what, the, the best way to explain, for instance, the uh, urine of thumb was that they were training wheels. <laughs> they were training wheels. Ultimately, by the time they get to the last part of the Book of Mormon, is Joseph using the urine of thumb? No! He's the Urim and Thummim. There were times he's translating the last part of the Book of Mormon. They don't even take the blanket off the plates. It's just coming. But he had to be trained. He took a raw boy. He has to be trained. So this whole experience 
On top of this was also, I need this boy to become the prophet I intend him to be. And to do that, he's going to have to hit some of the stupid bars on the ladder going down. <laughs> and I need him to learn and grow and to become the man that, I, that I'm preparing him to be. Yeah. I think one thing that we can learn is that you know, even if we feel like, like Joseph said, holy cow, okay, I'm a farmer now because I really messed it up. Everything. Yeah. And sometimes we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm now the most horrible mom in the world. Yes. And look at my kids and oh my gosh. And whatever we did, we're like, okay, game over, you know. I'm just... I screwed these kids up forever. <laughs> they will be permanently scarred and see Brother Hinkley ten years from yeah. now. <laughs> I know. right now. And then we just trust him and says, I know where we're going here. Just listen. And we just like two-year-olds go, no, I know better. Or I think I'm going to mess this up. And he says, no, you're not. Just, boy, we can fight this. Anyway, so, so here is, so the Lord is about to teach Joseph about Joseph. Okay? So there's a certain level of spiritual maturity. If you'll go back, these aren't necessarily in, if you take these in order, it actually goes uh, DNC 3, 10, 5. It's out of order. Why they did that to us, I don't know. We said have them in order, but they know better than I do. Okay, 3, 7 through 9. Um, let, let, let's, let's uh, Wendy, have you got that? Yeah. Okay, let's start with verse 5. Behold, you have been entrusted with these things, but how strict were your commandments. And remember also the promises which were made to you, if you did not transgress them. And behold, how oft you have transgressed the commandments and laws of God. And, then, and listen, because remember, Joseph is going to say, I was guilty of a lot of things. Don't suppose that they were of really serious nature. It wasn't like I was murdering and robbing banks and stuff like that. But we did have some problems, and here's where it is. And have gone on in the persuasions of man. Oh, none of us do that, do we? Nope. <laughs> we don't plan on doing nothing that somebody talks us out of it. Or that we're more likely that we're, we're going to hold our standards and that somebody kind of impinges on us just a little bit. Okay. Think, so, so when you're listening to here, I want you to hear yourself in all of this. This whole last section. I want you to listen to Joseph, what's being told to Joseph, but I want you to substitute your name in here. Because this is so applicable to us and how we handle things. Because we're pretty raw too. We're being trained as well to be the magnificent men and women he intends us to be. So listen, so put your name in here, especially on this next one. Say, say. For behold, you should not have feared man more than God. Oh, and, and we do that one, right? I'm going to fear what somebody's going to say or a neighbor or something. And I'm going to fear them more than God. Okay? Although men set at naught the counsels of God. and Other people do it. <laughs> and despise his words. Yet you should have been faithful. And he would have extended his arm and supported you against all the fiery darts of the adversary. 
And he would have been with you in every time of trouble. Isn't that? Okay, now, let's say this. Uh, Although men said it not, the counsels of God and despise his words, yet you should have been faithful. Okay, mom, how, do you, how would you say that to your kids? Just not I told you so, but just because everybody else is doing it, so why can't I do it? Because you know better. That's no excuse for you, my son. Alvin Corian. You know better. You have more knowledge. I expect more of you. And while men and women out there may do it, I expect more of you. Because you know better. Well, I didn't know. Yes, you do. <laughs> the Spirit has whispered to you. You have a testimony. Now you know. So even though other people do it, you have the greater responsibility, as Latter-day Saints. Now, now, be careful, though, when we judge others around us that may struggle with something. Because sometimes we assume that they know. Even active Latter-day Saints that may have been in the church all their life. And we watch them struggle. Don't assume that you know, that they know what you think they know. Especially teenagers. Especially teenagers. You know, that's, that's interesting to say that. I teach elders before. Yeah. Uh, uh, second year Sunday. And it's amazing when I was teaching about the principal last year. I mean, what people didn't know. They yes. They've been members of the church their whole life. Oh, that is so true. That's why I say, don't assume that, that they know, and sometimes don't necessarily assume that you know. That, that's why it is one of my, my favorite quotes, and I, I was talking a lot about this this last week on, on the ship, was, was the quote by C.S. Lewis that says, every idea of him we form, of God, every idea of God we form, he must, in mercy, shatter. And we go, well, I know God. Yeah, I know. And then he's going to shatter that one and you'll get a greater view. And then you'll think you know him and then he'll shatter that and you'll get a greater view. And then you'll get to the spirit world with one set of ideas about God and he'll shatter that and give you a greater view. It just grows. It's like, it's like a rose bush. You keep you know, trimming it down and then it grows into something even greater. Well, every idea of God we form, he must in mercy shatter ultimately. And that's what happens here. But you know better. So you're going to learn, you grow, and then you're going to have a greater understanding of Him. Yeah? I think that, too, we have to realize there's such a difference between hearing, knowing, testimony. I mean, it's such a... Like, you know, there's things that I thought I... Or I was told when I was 15, but that doesn't mean that my actions agreed with it. But I have right. a testimony of it. I didn't understand it. I... I, I had heard it, I knew it, but I didn't, I didn't get it. And I think that so often, sometimes, like say tithing, we might judge someone for not paying their tithing. We have a testimony of it. That person might know about tithing, but they don't have a testimony. Don't assume we know. I think that, that's exactly right. So we love them, we teach them. Uh, I've mentioned before, I think, that uh, early in my career, uh, I, I worked with a, uh, a bishop who just been called as a bishop, uh, and he walked into this ward and uh, found all kinds of things going on. I mean, there were affairs, the church leader, one another, 
seven excommunications like in his first three first ninety days of mission. And he was just overwhelmed. But he, he was an incredibly wise man and he went on to become the next state president in this in this state. Because what he would do is when he would excommunicate somebody, like for instance, I know that he had to excommunicate his elders corn president. Uh, and what he would do is as soon as he would excommunicate him, as part of that whole uh, you, you come out of a, of a disciplinary council and like, here are the things you have to do to kind of get back into the church. Two things. One, he would have to make an appointment with me because obviously there's some things going on there that we need to work through. And then second, he had a designated guy in his ward that knew the gospel and he, and he would go to them to have, them, have the gospel retaught, in essence. So I want you to get the counselor, I want you to get the gospel guy. To, and, and he averaged getting them back into the church in about seven months. Wow. He said it was his average. He, just, he would just teach them and teach them. Because his belief was they're doing things because they don't understand the gospel. And I want to teach them the gospel and make sure they do it. That's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, love that guy. Alright, so some of this is, is a certain spiritual maturity that has to kick in. Now, here's the next thing that we learned. If we'll go, now hop over to DNC 5. Look at verse 3. I have caused, Joseph, that you should... Oh, oh, by the way, verse... Yeah, I do want to do this. i got to just say, hold on here. Because uh, I think I forgot to put this in. Hop over to uh, DNC 3 again for a second. And verse 1. Because there's a little testimony here about Joseph. That we know of. This is the first recorded revelation. First recorded revelation of, of Joseph Smith. Where it was actually recorded where it could be published. There were other revelations that he got. This is the first one that he wrote down that would be this is, this is number one. Okay? Uh, and so, so here's the first revelation of the Lord to his prophet where other people are going to be looking at it as here's the prophet. And listen to it. The works and designs and purposes of God cannot be frustrated. Neither can they come to naught. Um... And then he's going to go on to blister him. Uh, remember, it's not verse 4. Remember, this is not, it's not the work of God that's frustrated, but the work of man. You were entrusted. You've transgressed the commandments. On and on. If you are the charlatan that Joseph is purported to be by those who attack the church, why would the first revelation that you published from the Lord to you be a blistering attack on you. Does that make any sense? That's why I love the fact that th this whole thing starts with, man, are you screwing up? Stop it! You keep listening to other people. You can't thwart my work, but part of the problem is you keep letting other people tell you what to do. Well, does that sound like a charlatan, like a guy, a confidence man? No. I, 
I just, we have to look at three and just in that context. Anyway, all right, so back to five. And with that commercial break. <laughs> I have caused you, verse 4, that you should enter into a covenant with me, that you should not show them except to those persons to whom I have commanded you. And you have no power under, over them, the plates, the writings, except I grant it unto you. Now, I want you to stop for a sec, because we have seasons in our life when we are called to do certain things. Either as, as an official calling in the church, calling as a parent, it's a time of our life. And we are called to do some things. So, so again, if we read this, put yourself in this place. Four. You, uh, you have a gift to do what? Translate these plates. Right now, that's his gift. Translate the plates. Right now, you may have a gift to teach primary. You may have a gift to work in the nursery. You may have a gift to work in young women's. I don't know what your gift is. Right now I get to work with uh, single adults as a high counselor. That's my, that's my station and calling at this moment. That's my gift. Uh, which, by the way, I, I will mention this. Uh, we, made a, we made a change uh, in the Plano State. Uh, change of leadership uh, a couple weeks ago. And I ran into the good brother that was, had been called, but he was not yet set apart. And that, that would be on Sunday. And I saw him in the parking lot uh, where, I, where I was, and I said, how you doing? And he goes, great. And I said, no, how you doing? And he goes, oh yeah, you're on the high council. <laughs> and then his whole countenance changes. It's like, wow. translate this plate. This is, and this is the first gift I have bestowed upon you. I have commanded you that you should pretend to what? No other gift. Until my purpose is fulfilled in this. For I will grant unto you and, and, that, and put your name here. Okay? Whatever calling, whatever responsibility that you have, whether it's in life, as a parent, or as a grandparent, or whatever. Or as, as a specific calling in the church. Put your name here. I will grant unto you no other gift until when? It is finished. It is finished. I gave that gift to you. To fulfill. Okay, now if we look at, uh, hop down to 30. 
Because th- there is just such a beautiful principle here. We wanted to make sure we had time to talk about this. Remember, what's happened? Martin Harris, uh, after this whole fiasco, is going to kind of flame out. Uh, the work doesn't happen uh, for a while. The Lord is going to prepare another scribe who's going to be who? Oliver Cowdery. He's got to get Oliver up and running. Oliver will visit the Smiths. He will feel impressed that he's somehow supposed to be part of this work. Uh, he will pray about it, as we'll talk about in section 8. The Lord will give him a witness. Yes, you are. The witness is going to come from God. Oliver's going to make his way down to uh, Harmony. He's going to ask Joseph for a witness. Joseph's going to give him a commandment. The Lord's going to say, well, you know, I already gave you this before the official thing. I already spoke peace to your mind with greater gift than you have from, than, from God. Oh yeah, that's right. There was that night. I didn't tell anybody about it. Joseph must be a prophet. He knows about that night. Cool. Now, then they will start in uh, approximately uh, April. First part of April, I think. And they will, they will work every day. And how long will it take them to complete the entire Book of Mormon? About eight weeks. They will move. And, 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 and to, to put that in different terms, we figured he did about five or six pages a day. Okay? He did the King Benjamin's address in a day and a half. Read that magnificent um, uh, sermon by King Benjamin and then put it on anybody to come up with that and do it in a, in a day and a half without ever going back and reading it over. Taking a break for lunch, pick up after lunch and start off without, without knowing where we were. Just go from there. And they did it in weeks. But he had to wait for Oliver to get there. Oliver would then could match him intellectually and away we go. Okay? So we've got to get him ready. Okay? So what he's going to say to him is, you have the plates, but verse 29. If I if I command you, my servant Joseph, that you shall say no more uh, unto Martin nor trouble me anymore concerning this matter. It's done. I, the Lord, have moved on. Okay? And if this be the case, behold, I say unto thee, Joseph, when thou hast translated a few more pages, thou shalt stop for a season. Even until I command thee again, then thou mayest translate again. And except thou do this, thou shalt have no more gift, and I will take away the things I have entrusted thee. And then here's, here I think is, is the principle that I kind of wanted to be able to get to. This is Joseph learning about Joseph as a budding prophet here. 34. Yea, for this cause I have said, un, I have said stop and stand still until I command thee. And I will provide the means whereby thou mayest accomplish the thing that I have commanded thee. Okay? Now, 
To me, this is the principle. In the church, we are good about trying to put together programs and activities. Are there times in our life, or times in the gospel, when the Lord says to us, stop and stand still. Don't do anything else. Stop and stand still. Like what? What would be an example of that? Yeah. I serve in the temple on Friday afternoons, and every once in a while it seems like there's a lull, nothing's going on, and some people get really antsy, and I start thinking, you know, what should we be doing? And then the Spirit just said, be still. Yeah. Wait on the Lord, and it'll come. Uh, wait, but but we're, we, what kind of battle do we have with the word wait? <laughs> we don't want to wait. Yeah. So in some ways, do you think this is one of those keys to getting answers to prayers? Let me ask. Are you more likely to get answers to prayers when you are in a state of desperation or when you're in a state of gratitude? And yet, how many times are we praying when we're in a place of desperation? I need an answer to Now, Lord... Make sure you do this. And, oh my gosh, we just lost our job. What are we going to do? And, and we're praying, I'm not getting any answers. Really? Yeah, we're, you've got to do this. You've got to fix this and take this. And you know, my kids are struggling. Amen. And he's not asking my prayer very well. I don't know why. And, and generally what he's saying is, be still and know what? That I am God. And you will know not in the whirlwind and tornadoes. You're not going to know in times of desperation. When are you going to know? When you can listen. When you can listen. And when you're going to listen, it's going to be in those times when you have learned to stop and stand still and get quiet and wait on the Lord. Now, a lot of times, I think sometimes we push and we get panicky. Why? Because we become afraid. We're afraid what? That he's not going to answer us. He doesn't, in a sense we're saying, he doesn't really know what he's doing. I'm praying, nothing's happening. Doesn't he know we can't pay the rent this month? What's wrong with him? How come he's not on the ball faster? And I know that he's not listening because it's not happening. I think psychologically the hardest thing any of us deal with is the unknown. Yes. When, when we know which way something's going to go, a tragedy, then, then we can do it. But when we don't know. Yeah, and, and that's why this is where the faith... So this involves faith. Those moments when you have to stop and stand still and get quiet and full of gratitude. And that's the moment when he says, every idea you've had to me, of me up to this point, I will shatter because you're about to know me. Talks about avoiding busyness. 
Yeah. We our lives so much that we don't take the time to stop and understand what's really right for our children. Maybe they don't need 25 hours a week of sports. Maybe they don't need all those things. And then we stop. Yeah. We'll get the message. And I think it was in the last conference, President Dukor said that we need to focus, take the time to focus on the things that truly matter the most. And in our busy world, I don't think we can do that. And I don't, a lot of times we can't. Well, it's hard. The, 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 first, the first couple of days that, that we were out this past week, I mean, I keep pulling up out of sheer reaction, pull up my phone. Oh, that's right. There's no internet out here. <laughs> you know, and I know that some people would check in from time to time and pay a lot of money to connect on the internet, but we figure, wait a minute, we're, let's, let's be quiet. Let's just slow down and just turn all of that stuff off. Because we do, we get caught up in that. And then we worry that we're not getting answers. And the Lord is just saying, stop. You have to have a season in your life, whether it's a morning or scripture study, where you just stop and you stand still and you get to know it. Yeah. Well, and sometimes it gives us a wake-up call, like losing a job or whatever, to humble us yeah. to reprioritize our lives. But, but those are the moments, aren't they? Because when we get that wake-up call, again, if, I, if, if we have lost a job or something, then we say, okay, now I'm desperate. And again, if we pray out of desperateness, what are our chances of getting an answer? Or listening to the wrong voice. Or thinking that we've heard an answer. When, we, when we're doing it out of desperateness. Because it's the hardest thing in the world to say, okay, we just lost our job. Stop. Stand still. Get quiet. Be grateful. Know that the Lord is in charge and listen to what guidance and direction He has. And let Him work His timing for me. Yeah? Brother Hale's talk in conference this last time is just exactly that. And you know, he has had a time with he's been very ill at And his talk, if you want to get that read it, is exactly what we're saying. I just, I just think you have to get to that point. And that, that's why I think, as I was reading through, of all the things that are in here, this is the one that just rocketed out. I just think we have to be willing to stop and stand still. Yeah, we have recognized uh, Yeah, Amy and I was talking about this last time, but that's, we are given that every Sunday. If we would turn off our phones, turn off Facebook, turn off the TVs, take the sacrament, forget it all, one day a week, and obey, or truly obey the Sabbath. Yeah. And not, and not be working too hard to fill ourselves up with meetings and stuff like that. Every time the church tries to slow down on meetings so that we can have a, that little quiet time and everything, we tend to fill it back up. Yeah. Um, you're just reminding me of something, uh, a good comment. On Sundays you do that. We tell, you know, we tell our little kids, we don't play with our friends on Sundays, so we tell our teenagers, this is how they play. Right? <laughs> it is. So basically, Mom, the bishop's kids aren't doing that. <laughs> the, the bishop's kids are sending me text. You can come in stealth. Yeah. I became a game. None of the neighbors were looking quick. 
Mm. They have a sibling. And because we've taken that moment to be quiet and to stop and really introspect about what made that vacation so great, we had a wonderful little testimony meeting on the floor looking at the ceiling about our family and how we really do want to be together. That's cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Okay, well, well let, me, let me in closing just say this. That this, the, the, again, one of the beautiful things about the Doctrine and Covenants is that we're watching, A, the doctrines roll forward, but we're also watching the Lord train a prophet. And as we watch him train a prophet, the principles that he used to train Joseph work for us. How critical it is that we stop and stand still and be trained and be taught and learn to trust Him more than we do. That by, and there will be times when we weren't listening, we, we follow the persuasions of men, and He says, don't do it. And then He says, and I have greater things for you. You are again called to the work within section 10. You are, you are Joseph, and you are again called to this work. And you are. Let Him be in charge. We're trying to run your life. Let Him do it. Uh, that I've mentioned before, this is the holy envy that I have with our Christian brothers and sisters is that they are they are out there saying, well, the, the goal is to trust Jesus. Yeah, it is. And sometimes it's Latter-day Saints we get clogged up in that. The goal is to trust Jesus and just do what, what He wants us to do. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen.